to me. Uh huh, yeah. Live from the Twin Cities of St. Paul, Minneapolis, Minnesota. We are the names you know. This is live. You want me to be that type of dude, and I want to be who you like me to, but we both. We fucking won. We fucking won a match in the uh, MLS's back knockout round. Woo! And really about played about as well as I've seen the Loons play without Ike Opara. I think that was probably the, the most remarkable part of that game was they played that well defensively and they didn't have Big Daddy Ike in there. And mm-hmm. they created scoring chances without Kevin Molino. Also that. Um, oh, sorry. I am. Uh, I'm joined by uh, Dan and MJ tonight. We don't have uh, no Bill tonight. Um, Bill is getting some R and R, uh, and we'll have him back next week. But uh, we are going to talk about the match that we just watched last night, and I just rewatched again. Um, mostly, just watched the PKs because I, you know, don't. I need to have another heart attack, or need to have a heart attack um, uh, earlier this evening. And then uh, we'll talk a little bit about. Uh, we're going to make some predictions for. Quarterfinal round of MLS's back tournament, uh, and then talk about uh, the upcoming match with San Jose, which is going to be taking place on Saturday at 7 p.m. our time central. Uh, I think it's on ESPN2, if I'm not mistaken. So um, let's. Uh, oh, before we jump in, though, we're going to talk. Uh, just want to say again, Patreon, patreon.com backslash the Daves I know. Uh, help support the Daves that you know. Um, again, beer, all that fun stuff. The Daves I know.substack.com. I was literally. If we had lost last night, I was going to spend most of my day, because this Wednesday is the day that Ragnar goes to daycare, I was going to go to Taco Bell and get a grilled cheese burrito and then write my write the newsletter. Um, but then they won, so I had to spend most of my afternoon like writing up the agenda for the podcast. I did go get the grilled cheese burrito, though, which um, uh, three and a half stars, definitely would order again. Uh, it's, the news, it's like one of the newest menu items on Taco Bell. Get, get the grilled cheese burrito. Are there veggies on it? Is there anything else? No, I mean it's a, a tor- Is it? It's a tor- tortilla with, with with cheese in it. Yeah, tortilla with cheese, and I think there's some like hot Doritos in there because it's got a little bit of a kick to it. Like not a big kick. It's got a little bit of a kick to it. I slather it in hot sauce because I like hot shit um, yeah. and hot boys. Okay, apparently. Um, but uh, yeah, it was. I don't know. It wasn't bad. So it's it, fucking Taco it, Bell. Like I haven't, I haven't like pooped it out yet. So we'll see what happens when it comes out the other end. But you know, in terms of like going down my going down my throat, it's pretty good. It, it's lie. like a quesadilla, a cheese quesadilla in tube form. Yeah, more or less. Okay, more or less. Had yeah. more cheese, more cheese in it though than like the, the quesadilla. So okay. I'm, actually, I'm a fan of the of the Taco Bell t- quesadilla. It's very it's very minimalist, but uh, it's good. But yeah, whatever the sauce, like the sour cream sauce that they use is, is delicious. I don't know. I don't know. I would, I would, I would order it again. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you want more content like that, patreon.com backslash series. Maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll, I'll record a podcast where I break down the actual grilled cheese burrito like in real time and then set, set that up as a Patreon podcast so people can listen to me eat a grilled cheese burrito and then talk about it whilst I eat it. 
if you could be having a food gasm while you do it too, and like just really record all the groans and grunts, that'd be great. <laughs> Honestly, I think you should do a Taco Bell power ranking. Just order one of everything on the menu. And then do just a live podcast of you eating an entire Taco Bell menu. You know, that, that's that was, me. That's me. Yeah, maybe, maybe MJ. That's maybe that's me and you would do that. Um, we can split it up. Um, when we, when I was in college, I played ultimate after after the college I was at cut the wrestling program. I played ultimate frisbee for the last like th- four years of college, and um, and we used to go on you know we go on road trips and there's obviously it's a, we're a club team so we weren't funded or, or whatever, but we would stop at Taco John's. And me and a buddy of mine, uh, my buddy Brian Gates, we would uh, we would go in and we would see who could order and eat the most food at Taco John's, and we would we would go in there and we would we would each order like thirty dollars worth of food. Yeah, we were also like we were also very high when we did this, so <laughs> it was like a very good idea at the time. It was still a very good idea, but we used to yeah, eat a shit ton of Taco John's. So I would be down with. Uh, ordering one of everything off the Taco Bell menu and then doing a, uh, doing a blog, a, a vlog, a video log of that. And then, you know, for the Patreon folks who need to like, you know, lose some weight by puking, like they can watch that and just engage with us that way. So, all right, that was, that went a little bit longer than I thought it would. Um, so we're gonna talk about what the hell just happened uh, with the Columbus crew. Um, obviously you are listening to this podcast, you know that Minnesota ended up winning this game uh, it was a one-one draw in regular time, and then a five-three penalty win for Minnesota. Um, what guys? Let's well, just very briefly give me your uh, your sort of one or two sentence uh, like recap of the of the match. Dan, we'll start with you. Uh, in his pregame press conference, Adrian Heath, uh, besides uh, emphasizing the chip on his shoulder, which we'll get into in a, a bit here. Uh, talked about how well that uh, his team matched up with Columbus. And he really felt like they were uniquely well-suited to play Columbus. And the team did nothing but go out there and prove him 100% right. They kept their shape unbelievably well on defense. They were so disciplined and so patient. Two things that we have not always said about this team's defense. They may have gotten a little lucky on the goal, but it doesn't matter. They played that game so, so well. They made their coach look really good. And it's really one of the first times that I've felt like this team went into the game with a game plan, executed it at 100% level, and then walked away with the win. So I, it was a thoroughly enjoyable game, and I am incredibly amazed that I'm saying that. I don't think it was that enjoyable, but it was very nerve-wracking for me. But I do agree with Dan that they did go in with a game plan and execute it, and you could see not just – our players playing to their potential, but you could see some of Heath's fingerprints on their play, on their structure. And it's one of the first times where I agree, Dan, there was a coaching plan. They executed that plan. And it it, it was weird. The the criticisms of defenders that I've had before of over-pursuing and then leaving Tyler Miller high and dry, you did not see a lot of that. You saw a lot of backing up and keeping Columbus crew mostly in, in their front attacking six in front of them, which was great. Yeah. So we'll get into, uh, we're going to break down the first half, second half, and then the, the PKs, obviously, um, sort of as highlighted moments. So the first thing um, was uh, no Molino. Um, he 
originally was not in the starting lineup or the the bench graphic. Um, the people on Minnesota United originally fucked it up and put Dotson on in the in the starting eleven as well as on the bench because um, people looked at it and were like, "Where the fuck is Molino?" Um, so he was not. Then he, they were, everybody sort of realized, "Oh, actually, Dotson was on there twice. Should have been Molino there. Um, no big deal." Um, but the question uh, that I believe Dan put on the uh, here on our agenda is, you know, no Molino. He didn't play. He was didn't start and didn't actually get into the field. Um, despite being pronounced healthy, was that a tactical decision, or do we believe that um, Kevin Molino is not actually healthy? So, um, Dan, why don't you uh, start us off? Yeah, I think it's a valid concern to wonder if he's healthy or not, but I think the decision was ultimately tactical. Um, you could see Heath's philosophy in this game was to, if they were going to lose, it was not going to be because of Darlington Nagby. That entire defense was built around making sure that Darlington Nagby was a non-factor in the game. And that's frankly something Hassani Dotson is far better suited to doing than Kevin Molino would be. So it could be a situation where Molino's hamstring sort of made the decision for Heath, but I think even 100% healthy Dotson starts that game anyway. Yeah. MJ? I think it's a little bit of both as well. The hamstring strains are weird because they come in so many different degrees, and we don't know how bad the strain is on Molino's hamstring. So there's a lot of unknown unknowns. But what we can say is that given Heath, Heath's roster, he picked a formation that forced Columbus to attack on the wings or when they tried to go down the middle, they had to backtrack and do back passes and kind of the balls that they got in the middle were very high up the pitch. They were closer to, to midfield or the center line. So um, I, I think, I think it was mostly tactical. Yeah. Um, I actually believe it was a, kind of a both, but um, not for the same reasons you guys are saying. I a hundred percent agree that like, the way that Adrian Heath had the team to set up was to basically stop Darlington Nagby from um, cutting the team open. Um, so I say it's tactical and that he's not actually healthy. I don't think he is actually ready to go. Um, hopefully now that they have a few more extra days, um, he will be healthy and will be ready to go against San Jose. I definitely think we need him against San Jose. Um, but I think the reason, I mean, there, you generally don't put a guy on the bench unless you think he could go. And I think, uh, Adrian put Molino on the bench, maybe as kind of a, a like you know to sort of sabotage any of Columbus's and, and the crews and particularly Caleb Porter's plans for you know having to prepare um, or keeping in the back of their mind. Oh, you know if Molino's on the bench, he possibly could come on. So I think it was a little bit of a subterfuge on the part of Adrian Heath. Now I understand that that's me giving Adrian Heath a lot of credit when it comes to tactics and um game planning but as you'll you'll listen in this podcast i'm actually going to give him a lot of credit for his game plan today as i think all of us are he yeah. actually kind of nailed this one on the fucking head um so strike this mark this podcast as as one there's gonna be a lot of adrian heath love and i think also a lot of a little bit of adrian heath hate as well so don't worry we're not gonna we're not gonna suck his dick too hard so uh all right register.com <laughs> yet no. Uh, no, it's not. Okay. We're not going to order. We're not oh, gonna, I okay. okay, just want to be sure. Um, all right, so the, to the game. Uh, so game was, you know, a typical standard Minnesota concedes all the possession kind of game. 
um, definitely for the first, uh, you know, quarter of the match. And then uh, in the 18th minute, um, Minnesota finds a way to get ahead. Uh, MJ, why don't you tell us a little bit about, uh, about that? We had a corner kick on the right-hand side. Gregouche is obviously the guy taking it. He connects with Lude. Lude is on the left side, the weak side. He gets a great header off, but Columbus crew defenders are right there. And actually two are going for the ball at the same time. I believe it was Zardes that actually got the head on it. Yep. But, but uh, Jonathan Mensah was doing his best to box Zardes out and beat Zardes to that ball as if they were confused who their teammates were, which is always fun to see when we're taking a corner kick. Um. Basically, after it hits Zardes's head, Aha is able to flick it with his head, but he doesn't flick it back into the danger area towards the box where there's actually more Columbus Crew bodies are, are in the box. He's, he flicks it to the left, more to the outside, where I assume he knew that Lud was sort of looking, and he's able to kick that out of the air and bounce it off the turf and over Tarbell's hands. It was so beautiful. Lucky, yeah. kind of pinball-y, but, but still, the, when you see it on the replay, it's just, it, it, you know. And we've been hard on, on Lud and Aha on this podcast, and I think rightfully so. Um, I'm, of course, being a very hard Lud stand, but agree that, you know, there are different degrees of Lud. And uh, this was some of the better ones. Yeah. He was as active on that set piece as he usually is during the run of play, um, which is a huge amount of praise to heap on him for his set piece, uh, recycling and, and eventually scoring. And also maybe a little bit of a backhand slap at uh, his movement uh, from the ball's normal. Yeah. yeah, it was it was funny actually. Uh, a friend of uh, mine, Mike Son, tweeted that Lude always hits the ball at 75 degree angles, whether it's into the ground and then it bounces up and he scores or it's into the air. <laughs> and guys, the sky's the net. And he actually he did, he did a tweet of basically of the of the goal, um, and like the like seventy five degree angle down and a seventy five degree angle up for like the one he sh- like just fucking shanked. And it was he like literally hits the ball at seventy five degree angles. So um, just got to get closer to the goal. Apparently, man, you got if you're gonna hit at seventy five degrees. <laughs> that one he skied his like. He was leaning so far back. I thought he was going to try to do a backflip and then kick the ball on the way back through like he was in Shaolin soccer. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, so we go up one nothing, And, uh, I mean, honestly, man, you know, I de- definitely did not feel that that was going to be enough to win the game. But as the game went on, obviously, it, it looked like it might be. I, I'll, I will say I'll just throw out a, a – um, in the 20, literally the 20th minute, so not just not more than two minutes after we had scored that goal, there was a uh, uh, no call on, uh, again, our friend Robin Lude um, at the top of the box. Zellerion was um, very much fouled uh, right at the top of the 18. And Dan, as you had mentioned in our last podcast about Zellerion being a, a dangerous free kick taker, we definitely did not want to give up too many free kicks you know, right around that area. And uh, the uh, referee waved it on, um, did not, did not give up, did not give the foul. And, you know, looking at it uh, on, on the uh, replays, definitely looked like Lude had, uh, had committed a foul in Zellerian there. So, but, you know, no harm, no foul uh, as it is. And then um, in the 38th minute, uh, Dan, why don't you talk about what happened in the 38th minute? Yeah. So in the 38th minute, uh, 
United was pushing the ball forward, uh, which in and of itself makes it a remarkable moment in this game. And almost identically to the Colorado game and very similar to the Sporting Kansas City game, uh, got caught in possession, turned the ball over, looking for a foul, and it gave Columbus the odd man rush heading the other way. Unlike in those two previous games, Columbus came down, took a quick shot instead of pushing further into the box, and uh, they dragged the shot wide. And that's it's one of those moments that I think really set the tone for this game. I don't think United's uh, game plan works nearly as well if they don't score a very early goal. Similarly, I think if that four-on-two rush turns into Columbus's equalizer, I don't think United plays nearly so well in the second half. So it's just these games are decided by such small fractions, and, and that's really one of those moments that Kansas City capitalized on, Colorado capitalized on, and Columbus just couldn't. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and then just before halftime, um, uh, you know, Columbus and, – and to be fair, Minnesota, like with their game plan, were setting up and they were getting a lot of turnovers uh, in the in the middle third of the pitch. Um, you know, Greg was stepping up, Dotson stepping up, Alonzo stepping up and, and um, you know, creating a turnover. And they didn't do a ton with that. They're, I think they were fully content with just trying – with like trying to disrupt flow, disrupt the play – um, get a turnover and then try and see if, if, if Metonier or Gasper was running up the wings and just getting it out wide and, and hoping that something else happens. Um, but this case, there was a, uh, a turnover in the middle of the pitch uh, and Amaria nearly chipped uh, Tarbell um, after Jonathan Mensa just with a, a terrible, terrible touch uh, trying to cycle the ball through. Um, Amaria almost chips uh, Mensa from basically the halfway line, it would have been fucking amazing. And I don't think Tarbell just going back and rewatching and cause I was at uh, the Blackheart watching the game. So didn't really hear uh, John champion talk about it uh, or, you know, mention it, but, and even going back and rewatching it, like he didn't, I don't think even John champion realized that that goal was pretty fucking close to going in. Um, I think Tarbell realized very, very late that it was very close to going in. Uh, but that would have been, God damn, that would have been a game changer if, uh, if we had gone up two nothing just before halftime. Yeah, in much the same way, I the game would not have been the same. I think yeah. we would have seen Columbus Columbus attack really heavily from about the 70th minute on, and I think they would have come out of the break knowing they needed goals against a bunkering team and, and been all guns blazing. Yeah. All right, so in the second half, um, uh, Dan, was this your, your stat, the passes? Yeah, so uh, as – immediately previously mentioned United pretty much uh, bunkered for the second half. So in the second half, Columbus completed over 300 passes and Minnesota United attempted 175. And if you look at the pass map from this game, it legitimately looks like Columbus was trying every which way there are arrows pointed every direction on the field from everywhere to everywhere. And Minnesota United is just a pretty clean, you know, a few few lines mostly going up the right side, a little bit on the left. It's a, uh, it's very minimalist. So, but that sort of drives home the point that from halftime on, Columbus attacked, 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 and it was incumbent on Minnesota United to keep their shape, and they managed to do it. Yeah. Um, so Minnesota did play pretty well, um, keeping their shape, not giving up too many uh, opportunities uh, to the crew. But for um, you know, and and may have like seen this game out one nothing. Um, but for a ridiculous 
needless, terrible penalty um, that they gave up. Uh, MJ, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Columbus Crew is working it, uh, the ball around in our our half or our defensive half, and the ball lands just inside the six yard box on the left hand side to uh, Etienne, and flying kind of out of nowhere and very late. Jose Aja, you know, challenges the ball. You know, horrible 1980s karate video game esque. <laughs> you know, foot flying in the air, you know, with 8-bit graphics and all, you know, and, and he cleats, he, he cleats Etienne, who, as I said last week, is not a really good player, but not a really awful player, but he's not someone like his artist that you need to really get that close to and, and worry about. So, you know, he cleats Etienne, Ref calls it, sees it immediately, and and then uh, that points to the spot. We get, and Columbus gets a, a PK. Yeah, uh, I mean, to, to that. Yeah, Etienne was away, facing away from the goal at the edge of the eighteen. Um, there's no, there's absolutely no fucking reason that Aha needs to do what he did to to get it. And pointed the spot right away. And I was like, oh shit, that's a, that's a penalty. And everybody who's around me actually was just like, wait, what? And I think even again. And this maybe is the detriment of having Champion and, and Twelman not, you know, not on site. Is that I don't think even they realized right away that he had pointed to the penalty spot. Um, rewatching the game, which is like, oh yeah, oh oh shit, that's a penalty. So no, they totally didn't because with with Alan Chapman pointing at the spot, John Champion's first instinct was to point out that Ozzy Alonso was crouching down. It's yeah. Like, oh, he, Ozzy Alonso's down. He, he thought Ozzy was hurt. Like, yeah. And then I think it was 12 and he goes, no, he's pointing to the spot. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think the camera wasn't on the action. It had already moved back to the ball. And yeah. So uh, yeah. Well, yeah. So Zardis steps up uh, to take that penalty. Uh, he, he takes a, a pretty hard shot and Miller, Tyler Miller to his credit makes an amazing save. Um, but of course gives up the rebound straight back. I mean, literally it, does not he does not push it anywhere. Uh, he pushes just straight back to Jossie Sardis, and he just Jossie Sardis gets to tap it in for for the goal and for the equalizer. But um, we got to give credit to Tyler Miller uh, stepping up and making a save. He's going to make a another pretty important one later in the game. But and I, you know, that, so you always think about that stuff. Like you know, with goal scorers, they always say goal like scoring goals gets you momentum, and the momentum propels you forward, and all that. Um, you know, you could argue theoretically that uh, Miller making that save gives him sort of some some confidence going into that the the PK shootout. So, um, all right. So yeah. So then uh, in the 83rd minute, so we have a couple more things before we get to the penalties. Uh, I'll just point out in the 83rd minute, um, Caleb Porter takes Jossie's artist off for Fernando Adi. I I thought this was just a, an interesting and a weird substitution. Um, especially considering you know you're probably going to go to, I mean, you got to plan at least in this case at, at, you know, 83 minutes that you're probably going to PKs unless you mean, unless you really believe that bringing Fernando Adian is going to be the difference maker and it's going to get you a, a goal and, and keep the, you know, keep from going to penalties. You have Z- Justice Zardes, who's your, you know, your prime PK taker. You take him off. Uh, I mean, do you, I don't know, do you get, either of you guys have any, any, <laughs> Thoughts on why Porter might have done that, other than you know maybe he didn't believe that Zardes was confident about taking a penalty in 
in extra time or you know in the in the shootout so the two things that popped to mind for me one was tactical and the other was decidedly not tactical uh the tactical reason is i wonder if the keeper has the advantage on second penalties taken in a game i meant to look this up and, and ran out of time today um but miller's already broken zardas once so now Zardes then has to step up and do it again. And if nothing else, that's going to be a psychological hurdle to get over. So that was one thing that crossed my mind. Honestly, though, if you watch the way Columbus attacked after that substitution was made, what it seems like to me is that substitution should have been made about 10 minutes prior. Because what it looked like they wanted to do was the way Minnesota United usually attacks, attack on the wing, cross the ball into the center. And Adi is a little bit of a, a better header of the ball than Zardes is. Um, so the best thing I can guess is with the penalty and then equalizing Porter shelved that substitution, then waited way too long to make it and only gave Adi about seven minutes to make, to make that impact. And he almost did. Uh, yeah. There were a couple of really good crosses at that time, but it's a little bit what we saw with like uh, Raheem Edwards in the Colorado game, right sub just way too late. Yeah. Um, not a huge moment in the game, but a huge moment for uh, Minnesota United fandom. In the 87th minute, uh, Chase Gasper, who, you know, to his credit, played a, a pretty damn good game in this match, um, was, uh, and, and, and to his credit also, too, was attacked relentlessly down that side by Columbus. I think Columbus ide certainly identified Chase Gasper as the, the weak link um, in Minnesota's defense and, and definitely tried to attack on that, on that right-hand side of theirs. Uh, on you know the, the left of Minnesota, um, he does a thing. And an MJ, can you describe the thing that Chase Gasper did in the eighty seventh minute? Well, for those of you who played Madden on Sony uh, PlayStation, it's the circle button spin. But I mean, the 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 amazing thing about it is this is this is a spin move that I've seen the likes of Carlos Puyol in his younger days for Barcelona pull on people running at him and he would just do it smooth as butter just dogging away from pursuance if you will now gaspers was a little bit more panicky but i've been very critical of, of gasper and this was definitely his best game that i've seen him play in 2020 this this was the most disciplined on defense and really good going forward and this case where he had two columbus crew players coming at him and he's able to spin uh he doesn't spin fake one way and spin back like i originally thought he, he continues his momentum in the same same direction but he's able to 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 use his body guard the ball spin out of trouble and carry the ball to a threatening spot in the middle of the field and to, to me it's uh one of the the highlights that caps a, a very strong game on on both sides of the ball for chase gasper yeah, absolutely. It would have been enough. I mean, he, he, it looked like he was about to get pinned over on the sidelines by the, the two Columbus attackers. It would have been enough if he had just gotten away from them. That would have been impressive. Enough. But the fact that he then dragged the ball forward and pushed them into a threatening position in the attack, like, oh, damn, we have not seen that from Gasper, and I would like to see that a lot more. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's an argument uh, to be made that Gasper is one of, one of the ten best left-backs in uh, MLS right now. Um, and if he could actually figure out how to fucking cross the ball, he would easily jump into the top five, probably. Um, but, you know, as it is, he's, he, again, he's, we've, 
I think a lot of us on this podcast have been very critical of Chase Gasper and some of his tendencies. Um, this, it, and even showed in the first two games um, of the season, not this tournament. Uh, he, in this tournament, he's actually been pretty consistent, and that's been, that's been a very welcoming sight. Uh, and then in, finally, in the uh, 90 plus thir- three minutes, uh, Columbus almost, almost uh, sneaks a win. Dan, what, uh, what happened there? Incredible distribution by Andrew Tarble, probably his best of the game. Ball falls to Lucas Delarayon. And I, I think Minnesota was some combination of waiting for the whistle and just dog tired. And Zellerion does for the first time, what we had expected him to do all game. He dribbled around a couple of defenders. He slithered, slithered through and shot near post on Tyler Miller. And Miller got down and made a really, really nice save, um, which turned out to be the absolute last moment of the game. So it would have been an absolutely heartbreaking goal to give up. But it, to me, that was just this illustration of, it's not that we overrated Zellerayon. It wasn't that uh, he had some terrible game. He was playing about as well as he could. And it was United's defense that had stopped him from making an impact. So um, yeah. it was it was a huge moment in the game in that it sent it to PKs. But I think it was also an illustration of just how good the previous 92 minutes had been for United. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about the PKs. Um, who I'm else? surprised all of us survived. I got to be honest. <laughs> right. I was I was. Yeah, uh, it was it was nerve-wracking to say the least watching watching pks um like i said i was at the black heart with with anna and and there's maybe 15 people total watching the game but it was it was it was fun and i i really miss watching matches with like you know a hundred people because that the energy in the room just is fucking even with 15 people was great and then you know i you know we're never gonna we're not gonna I mean, hopefully, eventually, at some point in our lifetimes, we'll be able to watch matches with a hundred people packed into a room. Um, probably not anytime in the near future, but, anyways, if you, <laughs> it was great. So, uh, so who wants to who wants to take? So this was our, our first PKs uh, since the U.S. Open Cup um, against FC Cincinnati, uh, who you know weirdly enough were in a PK uh, shootout later in the later in the evening. Um, we won that one. We and we won this one. Um, we, we want to go. We'll just, we'll just go PK by PK. Yeah, or MJ, First yeah. I want to say, whether it was Adrian Heath or Captain Ozzy Lonzo's decision or, you know, assistant coach Ian Fuller, I don't know who it was, but who they picked, you can't argue with the results. Like, I, I, I first of all, like the first four picks right out, right out of the gate. The you know the first four people they picked. Uh, David, you want to say more about the details on that? Oh yeah. So um, so the the loons takers were Ozzy, Gray Goosh, Schoenfeld, uh, Edwards, and then um, strangely enough, at the very end, Chase Gasper. We'll, we can talk about Chase Gasper in a hot second. But um, one of the things that that was very was demonstrable about the loons penalty takers was that you know they all were they weren't any sort of panekas or dinks or anything like that. They, they were taking a shot at a spot and they were going to hit it as hard as they possibly could. Um, which, you know, apparently, you know, I reading some of the Heath quotes afterwards, that's what they had talked about. You know, when they had practiced penalties the day before was literally to just pick a spot and go, you know, which, you know, when you think about the Orlando and it was raining and it was hot and it was humid there, 
Um, don't try and get fancy. Don't try and get cute. Just, you know, pick a spot and hit the ball as hard as you possibly can. If the keeper guesses right, they make a save. If they don't, you're going to, you're going to put the ball in the back of the net um, instead of trying some cutesy shit and, and either skying it or, or hitting it soft and the, and the keeper can make a save. I don't know. What, do you guys, is that, guys have any thoughts on, on sort of that mentality? That's what seems like it was the mentality that they were taking for penalties. Meg Ryan wrote in her article in the, in the Star Tribune that Miller actually was pulling the people who were going to take the penalty kicks aside and Tyler Miller was just giving them advice from the goalkeeper's perspective and as a veteran, and he was really calm. So he tried to instill that sort of calmness and echoing exactly what you said, David, that they were going to just like, just pick a spot, hit it with confidence. Yeah. And David, your point is, is dead on. That's exactly what they did. These guys walked up, they put the ball down. They took two, maybe three steps back, sighted it and went straight forward. Like there was no mind games. They weren't trying to psych Tarbell out. It was straight up. I'm going to do this better than you can possibly say that. And like, I don't know if it's, I, I think it's really interesting all of those quotes coming out ex post facto at the time, that was what Taylor Twelman was saying. Like, look to, and, and Twelman was a good penalty taker. So I know we dogged him a little bit, but this is something where I would, I would put some stock in him. He says, walk up, pick a spot and just hit it there. And that's exactly what United did. The most remarkable thing to me was that Ethan Finley is one of this team's actual penalty takers. If, if they had gotten a penalty in the run of play, he very conceivably could have taken it. And he didn't. He wasn't yeah. given a penalty at any point. That was so strange to me. And yet, I think they were going on the element of surprise. I mean, the, the last United penalty taker on the field was Aaron Schoenfeld, and he had taken his last penalty in 2014. Like, there's no book on these guys. Tarbell was completely guessing. And so I think that just added to the, you have no idea what I'm going to do. I know exactly what I'm going to do. And that gives me the advantage. Yeah. Uh, well, the last one was actually Raheem Edwards before Gasper. Um, and Edwards actually was the one who like took like a really like, ridiculously long, long run. But you're right. Everybody else like just, yeah, two or three steps back and just, and just, you know, banged it. Um, I mean, I think Finley probably, if, if it had gone to six, Finley is probably the next up. Um, you know, he was, I mean, I'm sure his, I'm sure he was gassed, man. I'm sure his legs were not working as well as, as anybody would hope. Um, it was actually funny. You mentioned Twelman and Twelman again, what, yeah, was a great penalty taker. He actually called the Tyler Miller save of Chris Kate, uh, Chris Cadden, um, cause went back and rewatched it when, you know, when I can actually hear everything that's going on and actually focus on it. Uh, you know, he's basically like, yeah, like both keepers have just been diving and making that. He's like, when he, when Miller made the save on, uh, Zardes, he didn't really move. He kind of reacted. It's like, I would be, wouldn't be surprised if he does that against uh, Chris Cadden here. And that's exactly what Miller does. It was fucking eerie that that Taylor Twelman, um, who is generally a dipshit, generally. And, you know, I'm not my favorite announcer when it comes to, uh, or color guy when it comes to soccer. Um, But he was absolutely 100% right. And, you know, listen, and going back and rewatching bits and pieces of the game, he actually, like, you know, the guy does actually know what the fuck he's talking about and is generally... um, you know, pretty smart, but his banter with John Champion, notwithstanding, and, and I think those guys actually hate each other. He actually, Taylor Trump was actually pretty knowledgeable about soccer and, and kind of had the, had the feel for, for what was going to happen. So, um, but yeah, that, that, let's talk about Gasper quickly. Um, who, among, who among us would have guessed that Gasper would have been that, that, that the fifth penalty taker? I've never seen he- Gasper. 
do you think he volunteered or do you think like inchy or whoever was pulled him aside was like hey guess who's taking the fifth penalty hint it's you like well gasper gasper has enough ego about him and i honestly mean that as a compliment mm-hmm. that i think i think it could have been i think he might have gone up to ozzy and said i want to close this and he yeah. clearly could do it it was a great penalty yeah <laughs> but uh i'm like when, when i was trying to guess who it would be unfit and i was like oh it's got to be finley and Casper walks up and i just audibly go what the fuck because <laughs> it, it came so far out of left field or yeah. left left back as it were but yeah <laughs> So Minnesota wins uh, five three on PKs. Um, now we're to the extra time part of the of the recap. Uh, and you know, this is where I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna shout out. And we've talked a little bit about this. Keith had the perfect game plan for this match, and it worked to perfection. Like literally, could not have gone any better. I mean, outside of aha, you know, with a stupid foul in the box. Um, this you know he had gamed out exactly what he needed to do to beat Columbus. And, you know, one of the things, was also, I, I, one of the things of credit I'll give to Heath is that he definitely comes up with game plans. He, and sometimes they work really fucking well. Um, this game, the last three matches, they, or the last, like, three, yeah, three matches they played against San Jose, that LAFC game in L.A., um, sometimes they are terrible and they don't work at all. Um, the problem I have with Heath is that he doesn't, do well to manage in game but when his plans work and like this one they work to fucking perfection and you know you got to give him as much credit as you possibly can also one of his things that we the in-game things that we have been criticizing heat for on this pod for weeks <laughs> his lack of subs and he used four subs this week before the 80th minute even um i there was only one in the six. Uh, there was Jacory Hayes for for Hassani Dotson in the 64th minute, but and so I would have liked to see more subs earlier to try to get that winning goal. But all the other subs were were solid. You you bring in someone like Harrison, who's our uh, backup right back, filling in for Metinere. He got caught forward a couple times, but you know. Well, that's because Harrison's not a right back. Uh, he came in because Menier, you know, got a got a knock, and and that it looked bad. He he was able to get back up and get, get back oh, in the game. There, Noah Billingsley. I mean, like yeah, he came out, you know, came out a little bit later. Um, I thought Jacory Hayes for Hassani Dotson. Jacory Hayes looked really good, uh, and is and we haven't we haven't really seen Jacory Hayes at all. Um, I mean, we'll talk. Dotson made the backup or the bench for the team of the week. I don't necessarily understand why and how he did that uh and he did a, he did a really good job on, on nagby for the 64 minutes he was in um but i didn't believe that he's like was the second best central midfielder in mls this this week um but yeah uh and then dan, dan did you have anything else to add for extra time yeah i mean i think i think the most notable thing about this is that he's yeah, not just a game plan, but did all the in-game stuff that needed to be done to ensure it worked. I mean, there's definitely a version of this game where Metinair's knock in the in the 72nd produces two Columbus goals because they just start flying and attack down that side. But Hairston executed it. So I think, I think the game plan was dead right. And I'm honestly not trying to take anything away from Heath here. 
but I think it shows a level of buy-in from the players that they totally believed, yep, this is the right thing to do, and we're going to execute this at, at a 100% level. I think also you've got to shout out Dotson and, and Ozzy Alonso just for doing – I mean, very little of what they did in that game shows up on a stat sheet. Yeah. You know, it's and, and what they did is probably on the negative side. It's, it's giving up a foul here or there. And Ozzy was weirdly uh, loose in possession. I think that was probably because he was very, very focused on his defensive efforts. But, oh, my gosh, those two guys absolutely annihilated Columbus. And Columbus got all the hype ahead of this game. But you know what? They deserved it. They looked really good. And it was only because United completely committed to the plan that they looked 100% beatable. Um, uh, one quick note, just based on uh, what was visible in the post-game images, um, harkening back to a previous career of scouting by social media, um, Metnair's injury is his hamstring. That was wrapped pretty tightly with ice uh, after the game. Really no way to know. Could be a minor strain. Could be eight weeks. Um, either way, I think we start to see Dotson take over at right back like we did during AFCON last year. Um, and, man, what an unbelievable luxury it is for this team to have their arguably their best player, their all-star right back, go down, and to have the backup in Hassani Dodson be entirely capable. I don't sweat that. Obviously, I'd rather have Metnair in there, but I'm fine with Dodson in that position. Yeah. Um, one last thing is uh, their Minnesota United posted a uh, video of the team singing Wonderwall afterwards, which was fucking amazing and awesome. Um, it was the first time we've actually seen the team like a, in a post-locker room situation singing Wonderwall since the uh, 2011 uh, run that they, uh, the run that they made, it was really cool. Um, it was great to see, uh, them blasting it and, and the team, uh, and Heath and everybody just getting really, really engaged with that. So, um, we do have a question. I, I want to throw, so I peppered questions into our, our, uh, agenda here. Question from Adu, which was sexiest, the Miller porn stash rub or the Amaria micro towel? So if you're not familiar, um, I'll, I'll try and throw this in, into the, uh, the notes for the podcast, but um, there's a, once out, when Miller makes that save on uh, uh, the Columbus uh, penalty, he does this uh, rubbing of his mustache and it's a ridiculous mustache. You know, if you haven't seen Tyler Miller and his mustache. Um, and then uh, if you, after the game, they posted a picture of the Minnesota United players in the locker room, the, whatever the, the sort of, uh, motor home that they have for a locker room and Amari is wearing the, sh the the tiniest of tiniest of towels I kind of get the impression that they took that picture um and he wasn't wearing a towel someone was like Amaria you need to put a fucking towel on because it looked like it was a washcloth basically covering his uh what appears to be uh fairly ample junk so um what, what do you guys have what was the sexiest the, the porn stash or the micro towel so I'm gonna say this they are the Amaria, the, the team shot with, you know, a lot of shirtless loons, right? And then Amaria with, you know, just this tea towel cover, covering his teapot. Uh, you know, that is definitely not safe for work. But I would say that... Porn session is not safe for work either, buddy. The, the, <laughs> Depends on say, the job. I would say that the, 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 the Miller gesture on his face 
That was dirty as fuck. <laughs> so that's the sexier one. All right, Dan? Yeah, I, as established, I'm very confident in my sexuality. But I got to say, like, we have a sexy team, guys. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of extremely fit dudes who look very good with shirts off. So yeah. full, guys- full, credit, full credit to the loon strength and conditioning coaches. Uh, you do good work. Uh, that said, there is nothing in this world sexier than confidence. And so the fact that Tyler Miller with a god awful mustache just brushed that thing back, looking smug as fuck, that's the sexier thing to me. <laughs> but that stash is so bad, you guys. It's terrible. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, to your point, Dan, do you, I don't know. The, the team also released a picture today of like uh, the pizza party and like there's, there's a bunch of like, dudes with their shirts off, like, holding boxes of pizza. I was like, holy fuck. You guys are, are like, thirst traps. Uh, they, every, every last one of you. Look, there's very little that I want more in this life. I saw that tweet today. And the first picture is Ethan Finley walking poolside yeah. with a large pizza. And I'm looking at that, I'm like, this either looks like the beginning of a porno or the beginning of an SNL sketch about a porno. Uh, <laughs> And and you know, but like I mean, full credit to the social people—they're really doing a good job with this tournament. Also, since you brought it up, the last picture in that sequence was uh, they had a piece of pizza stolen by a squirrel. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> and I 100% believe that United will now win this tournament because they have the power of the pizza squirrel. There you go. There you go. Uh, all right. So let's uh, let's let's talk about our good and bad players for both teams. Let's start with Minnesota. Um, MJ, why don't you start? So, as I've mentioned earlier, I've been harsh on Gasper, overly aggressive, kind of being out of position. He got back. He got back, and he kept he kept that very lethal Columbus Crew attack in front of him. He he maybe over overbit to the outside and let someone cut middle on him once, but not like you not like the previous games in this tournament. So it's really encouraging to, to see Gasper get some more defense on discipline. And again, like we talked about, like not just keeping the ball in the wings, but, you know, spinning out of trouble and carrying the ball into the middle. Uh, let's see more of that Gasper. So uh, as far as my next Freddie Adu hopes and dreams, uh, it's Chase Gasper. And then my uh, shittiest uh, player of the game, Freddie Adu Ward, goes to Minnesota attacking from the run, run of play. There were several times where we had numbers going forward. Sometimes we had weaker numbers. We uh, there was one time we had a three on four, and I think Dotson just sent a, a you know something from just inside the the half, just inside just inside the midfield, and it went way wide. I was like, we had numbers. Like yeah, it was three on four, but we had passing lanes in space, and we could work that ball closer to the net. And I felt like. We didn't take the best shots. Um, most of our best chances came from set pieces, which is weird. Um, there was that really nice uh, metonair to Finley, Finley uh, cross on the pitch over to Lud that uh, I think uh, a full boxed uh, a full bo- box out Lud and didn't let him get into the ball. But yeah, I didn't really like our run of play. So rather than picking a player, I'm just picking our attack from the run of play. It's the shittiest yeah. player. I mean, not this year, man. Like seven of our 14 goals are from set pieces. So like it's we're super. actually we're a dangerous set piece team. 
and we're entirely capable of defending them. I mean, yeah. both Boxy and Aha have been great. It is so strange to go from 17-18 loons, where if the opposition had a set piece, they could probably score from it. And if the loons had a set piece, the opposition could probably <laughs> score from it. Yeah. Into a team that, if it's a free kick within Grey Goose range, there's a pretty decent chance it'll bounce around, we'll score off it, and there's very little chance of the opposition just popping one in off a corner. Yeah. Dan, who do you got? Uh, I shouted him out earlier. I'm going to stick with him. Uh, Hassani Dotson. You know, in the first couple of games of this tournament, uh, Dotson was really pushing forward. Even when he was playing, covering for Ozzy back in the six, he was clearly champing at the bit to get up into the attack, and, and it was to the team's detriment. In this game, Heath basically told him, you know, here's a shot collar. It's going to go off every time you cross half. And Dotson stuck with it. He was so, so disciplined. And look, I mean, people have said that Darlington Nagby is the most technical player the U.S. has. And I don't disagree with that. And the fact that he was subbed off about halfway through the second half, I think he was about a 70, 73rd, 75th minute sub, something like that. 74th, I think. Perfect. Split the difference. Um, is an illustration of United game planning against him and Dotson pulling it off so well that Porter basically said, yeah, you're not effective. And we're, I would rather have another body in your place. That is flat out remarkable. So huge kudos to Hassani Dotson. Uh, my Freddie Adu shittiest player, uh, Jose Aja. And this is honestly reflective of the fact that everyone had such good games. Um, it was a bad brain fart. It was, and that's all it was. It's not like it was a malicious tackle or anything like that. He just kind of lost his mind there for a second. But when you're playing bunker defense, not even really counterattacking, and you're trying to cling to a one-goal lead, that brain fart legitimately could have cost United the game. I mean, whether Zellerion scores in the 93rd or whether Miller doesn't make the save in the PKs, like, AHA had a really good game, and all it took was that one moment of idiocy, and it could have all fallen apart. So it's a little unkind to call him Freddie Adu-esque, but everyone else was too good to blame. I disagree with you on that, I'll, and I'll get to it in a second here. Um, I'm going to say Tyler Miller, um, the dude made you know made that uh, Zarda save, and then obviously made the save that uh, that won us the the PKs. Um, so I, you know, he's an easy one for me. Uh, Amaria, a Luis Amaria, a guy we we have literally not said his word, his name the entire fucking podcast so far, and we've been doing this for like no, that's not true. We literally talked yeah. about him wearing a tea towel. Yeah, he's uh, yeah. Other than talking about yeah, other than the towel, um, he was just non-existent in this game, and uh, that's not good. Um, and we have a, we have a question about it at the end of the podcast. We'll talk about if, if maybe he's still a little bit hurt, but he was pretty much non-existent outside of that. You know that he had that one chip, uh, and like I said, in the very end of the of the first half, um, you you know with a team like Minnesota, we need you know we need our striker scoring goals. Uh, in order to do well and you know he started off so well and now he, he's just you know again you know first start it's been a while um he's probably still injured uh, but really probably going to need a lot more from him uh, in the game against san jose coming up so uh all right let's let's be very quick on the columbus side uh, i'm just gonna start i have i have lucas zellerian as the best uh chicago uh, columbus player i don't think anybody played a particularly great game on their side but i don't think anybody played a particularly terrible game um you know, he he drew a couple fouls. He should have drawn uh, that foul, like what I said, Lude in the 20th minute right after the um, – right after Minnesota had scored. And then in the second half, uh, Hassani Dotson, like, just pushed him over as he was taking a shot. Right, again, 
right at the top of the 18 and he didn't get a, he didn't get a foul call. Um, that was, you know, good refereeing for Minnesota. Um, I think he was kind of all over the pitch and was very, very dangerous in terms of my, uh, you know, my shitty player, Darlington Nagby, um, as you mentioned it, Dan, I'm not going to uh, elaborate. He just was shut down by Ozzy Alonso and Hassani Dotson. And, you know, it, sounded, it looked like he may have had a potential injury, but either way, um, taking that guy off the pitch in the 74th minute um, is really good. It shows that Minnesota did a really good game plan and they executed that game plan, you know, 100% correctly. So, uh, MJ, who do you got for uh, on the Columbus side? Staying completely consistent with my last week pre- preview, I'm going to say uh, Jonathan Mensa. He did have that horrible touch to, to give up to Amaria, who almost chipped it over Tarble. But other than that turnover, I thought Mensa had a good game, both on the clearance distribution side and defensively closing down space and guarding Amaria. So Jonathan Mensa gets my Freddie Adu uh, best player of the game. And again, staying consistent with last week, left fullback Milton uh, Valen, uh, sorry, Valenzuela. You know, he's the first guy to get subbed off. He's turning the ball over. You know, he can make clearances, but, you know, he's not going to help you play out the back. Um, They didn't really support him on that left side, but yeah. Definitely one of their weaker players. Uh, for them to, for people to accuse accuse Ruder and specifically uh, Adrian Heath's son to accuse Ruder of actively rooting for this team to fail is is just sort of I don't know. It's beyond the pale for me. Yeah, Jeff's a pro. Um, I it's been really really fun to see him develop as a sports writer, and he's really good. Um, the athletics model is interesting in the sense of like taking a lot of writers who have been very close to their teams and then turning them into columnists. Um, you know, it's not unthinkable that with someone else, there may have been, you know, a blog leaking out somewhere where it turns out the guy really does hate the coach or whatever, but Jeff's not that guy. Um, He's a, he's a consummate pro in a way that Harrison Heath has literally never been. Um, (laughs) But look, I, I think part of the complicating factor here is, is the relationship between Adrian Heath, Harrison Heath and the team. Because look, if, if Harrison Heath had never played for Minnesota United, we'd all be laughing about this. Like, the coach's son pops on Twitter to defend him. Look, we've seen this a million times with players on their burners or wives jumping in. I mean, it's Rebecca Vardy, like that whole shit. <laughs> like, this happens. And it's actually one of the things that makes soccer so incredibly interesting is there is this, like, weird cultural intrigue. But with Harrison Heath being the former player, and someone who ostensibly has a relationship with the club, it felt inappropriate. It felt less like a son defending his father, where you go, yeah, okay, that sort of makes sense. And it kind of got into the territory of like, yeah, don't do that. That's not, that's not okay. And it's not okay to attack the beat writers. But again, like, it's especially not okay because you were this player. So I don't know. It's, Jeff did 100% the right thing by not engaging. um, But it's just kind of one of those things where it's it's kind of gross to me. And I really hope that Harrison, someone pulled him aside and went, listen up, shithead. Don't, don't do that. This doesn't reflect well on you. And it doesn't, it doesn't advance your dad. Like, if you were this passionate about and, like, hate the media this much, whatever, where were you for the entire three games of this tournament? <laughs> like, yeah. like, congratulations. And, and, David, you hit the nail on the head. This was an amazing game. And Heath did everything right. 
perfect. But if this is what it takes for you to come out and be like, ah, we're right. And you suck. Like, congrats. You get to do it once a year at this rate. Yeah. I, I mean, again, he was, he was still going at it this, this, like this afternoon. And I, I just, I think I tweeted at, um, Fangmeyer uh, retweeted something that it posted Christian, uh, Christian Fitchett, uh, our, our very good friend had tweeted something at Harrison Heath and he was, he was coming at, uh, at Christian. I was like, dude, just someone needs to change that dude's password. Like his wife or his dad or somebody needs to get into his Twitter account and change his fucking password. So he can't goddamn tweet. MJ, do you have any thoughts? I, all I'll say is this. Twitter when, when, yourself. when we were, when we were playing the Tampa Bay Rowdies and they were coached by Ricky Hill and he was not only had Sean Hill on the team, but started Sean Hamburger Hill. Shane Hill. Shane. Shane? Uh, Shane, yeah. Oh, my bad. So anyway, he's starting his son and I'm talking with Ralph's mob, the, the Rowdies fans about this. And they're like, yeah, we, why, why, why is he on the team? Why is he starting? They didn't like it any more than, than I did. And we were chanting nepotism, clap, 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 clap. As soon as Harrison Heath got on this team, I wanted to chant that and I got shut down because I was being negative. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's a, I do have a, a very nice picture of, of Harrison Heath getting a red card uh, that sits on my nightstand. I wake up to every fucking morning. I look up, look at what that picture is. I'm like, you said I'm not getting a red card on my own bench for, you know, being a fucking asshole. I'm, I'm living a pretty good life right now. So that's what I have to say about Harrison Heath. Uh, from one Heath to another Heath. And so we had, uh, we have a, a question about this. And this is basically, this is like, we're gonna have a very, we're gonna have a, a, a short conversation um, about the Harrison Heath. No one believes in us narrative. And so what, I'll just read the question from Eric, uh, uh, Eric Grady. Um, and then we'll, then we can, uh, I'll, you know, kick it, Dan, I'll kick it to you first and MJ, and then I will chime in and we can, we can have a little bit of a conversation. Um, so the question from Eric is, and this is in two tweets, why are MLS analysts pundits so repulsed by the no one believes in us strategy that is so routinely used in American football? Like it's the biggest cliche trope ever. Hell, Bill Belichick uses it routinely and his team is arguably the most successful team of all time. Uh, is it not traditionally part of soccer culture? Vikings coach Mike Zimmer uses it all the time. Even when it's clearly not true, he'll try to use it against the Detroit Lions. And every one of us kind of just rolls our eyes. But Taylor Twellman got all fired up last night. And I don't know if you guys saw the the bit after the after the match when Adrian Healy and and uh, uh, yeah, Adrian Healy and uh, Ali Mourinho were bantering with Taylor Twellman about uh, you know the no one believes in us, and no one believes in the loons narrative. Coleman um, was downright defensive about it. Yeah. So, Dan, I'll, I'll, I'll give this to you first. Do you, I mean, obviously, Adrian uses the no one believes in us narrative fairly regularly. What are your thoughts on that? I, I agree with the broadcasters. It does rub me the wrong way. Um, to, to Eric's exact question, is this not a thing in soccer? It is. It isn't, not in the same way it is in American football. Um, and people are sick of Bill Belichick doing it. Uh, you know, people make fun of him all the time while he learns on the sports center or whatever. Uh, I, think, I think part of the reason 
that people like Twelman get defensive about it is um, there is this like grain of truth to it that United seems to be, and, and granted, we're talking about a season and a half here where you can possibly have that narrative. No one was believing in the loons in 17 or 18 and rightly so. Um, but so for, for 19 and so far in 20, yeah, I think you can make the argument that United is a little underrated, but here's what I think it boils down to. We probably saw United's best game of the season last night. Uh, they did everything right. They won the game. Super. But if you were going to, if you were a studio show and you were going to show MLS highlights, it would be fairly difficult to show to the average viewer or an uneducated viewer the highlights of Minnesota United and say, like, isn't this amazing? When LASC is at their best, you're talking about three or four flowing passes, a gorgeous goal. Seattle, you're talking about a cross field pass, 70, 80 yards to Jordan Morris's feet going for the goal. Like these big, majestic highlights. And there's, these, these teams are so easy to talk about. They're so interesting. Minnesota United is good without being all that interesting, which I think gives Heath like this grain of – of truth. And I think that is why people like Twelman are, are saying like that. I think it's why they're frustrated. If this were just completely asinine and they were talking about Minnesota United just as much as everyone else. And Heath was trying to do the Belichick thing. I think they just roll their eyes, but I think the reason they are defensive is because they can't shake the fact that they do talk about other teams more, even if they haven't had as much success as the loons. And I hope I'm not stealing anyone's thunder by taking two points on this, but ultimately it doesn't matter. I would have said that this was completely a media tactic and this was Keith out front and whatever. And, and the way that coaches deal with the media and the way that they deal with their own players can be very different. Um, you'll see coaches all the time, you know, in public criticizing officials and it's always take heat off their guys, but they're different in their locker room. Chase Gasper's interview last night after the game, he parroted the exact same phrasing. Nobody believes in us. Don't sleep on the loons. And, and it wasn't just a line. I mean, you could see that there was some real soul behind it. So whether or not I think it's trite, whether or not broadcasters are sick of being blamed for something that fundamentally isn't their fault, it doesn't matter because the team bought into it and it works. And, and that to me, it's, it's a little bit remarkable, but also like, shit, if the team's buying into it, don't stop. Like Matt Doyle can hate it all he wants and I don't blame him for it. But if Chase Gasper thinks it works, then guess what? It fucking works. Yeah. I mean, that Gasper, that Gasper point, if you – MLS Soccer had a uh, uh, post up of this. It was like the, the end of that Gasper quote basically saying, like, no, don't sleep on the loons. And it cuts to Adrian Healy and Ali Moreno just fucking laughing. And then <laughs> a, a little side window of, of Taylor Truman also just fucking laughing and basically being like, who is sleeping on the loons? No one's sleeping on the loons. And – um. It's it's the uh, uh, MLS dot uh, or soccer dot com people apparently because uh, no one in the ESPN apparently is sleeping on the loons. Uh, MJ, what are your what are your thoughts on all this? I don't have a chip on my shoulder as much as some supporters that I've read online that really seem to buy into this sort of that no one respects us. Um, I know that analysts respect, respect us or Minnesota United, but as to Dan's point, 
we don't get the highlight reels that other teams get. And as a result, we don't get talked about. There isn't a MLS uh, deep dive tactics show. I mean, Extra Time tries to do it a little bit, but there just isn't this thing where we're breaking apart Keith's 4-3-3, which is, you know, separate from his 4-2-3-1 and throwing in Dotson to, to close down Nagby. You know, there isn't this granular detailed level of tactics talked about in soccer in the United States right now. And so where in American football, you have X's and O's and arrows being drawn left and right on, on sports shows when you're talking about the NFL. So we just haven't gotten to the soccer intelligence or the media hasn't chosen to devote as much deep dive time to soccer. And so Minnesota United are hard to talk about. And I think that all of this just fuels the Heath narrative more. This whole thing of announcers laughing off Chase Gasper or laughing at Adrian Heath, thinking this is like a ridiculous psychological trick or like this is stupid, them getting defensive about it. That's just more fuel in, in Heath's fire. So I think it works for Heath either way. And as Dan said, how can you argue with it if it works? All right. I'm going to fucking argue with it. Because it's, it's fine. Like, I, I'm not, I'm not going to argue with you guys. And if, if it works, it works. Great. If that's what you – if you need to feel small to be big, good for you. Fucking go for it. Um, and I'll, I'll just say this. Like, it's fucking Minnesota. Like, people don't talk about the Minnesota Vikings unless they're, like, contending for an NFC championship game, you know, right? They don't, they don't talk about the Minnesota fucking Twins, even though they had the best offense uh, of all time last year. Like, the only context they get is, like, oh, they're playing the fucking Yankees. All right, they're going to lose. Cool. Great. No one talks about goal bias. No one talks about uh, – I mean, even the Minnesota Lynx are, like, one of the greatest uh, WNBA franchises in all time. How many people outside of fucking Minnesota can tell you how many uh, WNBA titles the Minnesota Lynx have won? Right? It, 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 it's, it's, part of the, it's part of the nature of being in the Midwest, in fucking Minnesota. And I think, and this is my impression, is that there's a lot of people, and a lot of soccer supporters, who get really hung up on that point. That, like, since we're not talked about, it's, a, it's an affront to us as soccer fans. And I'm here to tell you, um, shut the fuck up. It's not about you. If we just have a good soccer team, we'll get talked about eventually, right? And it maybe will not be until we make it to the MLS final. And that's fucking fine, right? The, people in this, in, in, and I'm born and raised Minnesotan, um, there are, there's an inferiority complex that exists throughout the Midwest, but it's, it's like amplified in Minnesota. Like if we're not the best, then like we should be the best. Or if we, if we think that we should be the best, we're not said that we are the best and people have like a bug up their ass and it's the fucking worst. It's like the worst part of Minnesota culture. Second worst part of Minnesota culture. The worst part of Minnesota culture is the Minnesota nice, which is basically a passive aggressive asshole them where they don't want to talk to people that don't look like them. Um, second worst is this whole like inferiority complex that Midwesterners generally have, but Minnesotans very specifically have. And 
you know, Heath is a great coach to tap into that. And, you know, a lot of people resonate with that idea that like, and I don't, I, just, I guess I don't, I don't understand why people like feel that not being talked about doesn't mean we're not good. Cause we can see the results on the field, right? We see this team be really good at soccer. Can we, why can't we just like accept that and just be like, Oh yeah, we're really good at soccer. It doesn't matter if Matt Doyle thinks you're really good at soccer or Andrew Wiebe talks about us on the MLS extra time show, or we get, you know, articles written about us on MLSsoccer.com. Um, we're good at soccer and now we're good at soccer. We, we used to be shit at soccer, but now we're good. So I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm, and, and kind of circling back to Eric's point, it's, you know, it is, there is a definitely, uh, there are some soccer teams that have really used that sort of us against them mentality. And, and, and that's definitely, it's a cliche and it's cliche for a reason. Like it apparently works. It, it works on, um, and you know, I don't know, don't want to like be an asshole, but I'll be an asshole right here. Like, you know, athletes are, I've, I've known some very, very smart athletes. There's athletes who are just, who aren't the smartest people in the world. And they really like, if you can, you get something in their head and that's what's going to stick in their head. If, if you can convince someone that no one believes in them and that they need to prove to them, they prove to everybody that they're the best. Like that's going to, that might be a good enough motivating factor. So um, I don't know anything about like, you know, Minnesota United's football team and, and the intellects of the players there. I, I imagine that there's some very smart people there, but again, it's, it's, a, it's also a primal brain thing, right? Like I was an athlete. I played, I wrestled in, um, I consider myself a pretty smart individual, but you know, when my coach would be like, no one believes in you, da, 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 I would get, you know, it's still, I would get fired up about it. So I don't think it's a, it's not, a, it's not an intelligent thing. It's just like, it's a primal brain sort of thing. Right. And so it's one of the, it's the oldest tropes. It's one of the oldest tropes for a reason. As, as a coach, I'm just going to say it's hard to motivate your players when they're supposed to win. If they know they're the better team and that they should just score four or five goals, win by five to eight goals on another team, it's tough to motivate them to be disciplined on defense, to make the right passes, not just hot dog or do stupid shit. That's a very tough spot for a coach to be in. If you can flip the tables and say, hey, nobody believes in us, you, you need to try your best out here. But at the same time that motivating them to try their best, taking that pressure off and that expectation that people are expecting us to win and allowing them to relax, it kind of serves this dual purpose that is cheap and, and easy, but it works. I know Bob Bradley does a pretty good job of, you know, convincing his best players in the world of soccer and MLS soccer to just win all the time. I don't know if you have to do a lot of motivating on that team. <laughs> all right, Dan, do you have anything else to say? Otherwise we can, we can take a break and. Yeah, I won't belabor this, but I think it is relevant that we spent a goodly portion of the early part of this podcast talking about, just how good Chase Gasper was and how this was probably his best game as a loon and, and how much it, how improved he was. And he's clearly the guy who's bought in um, to, to your point, David, about athletes being smart or unintelligent. They totally run the gamut. They can be literally anything. Um, 
but this team does have an athlete who's intellect I sincerely respect, and that's Ethan Finley. And Finley is another guy who goes out there. And, and part of this, I think, is an internal engine thing. Um, he works his ass off for Adrian. And I don't know if that's if he works his ass off for literally everyone. If this is if he were an investment banker, he would be just as motivated. And if he were a real estate agent, he would make Chris Lindahl look lazy. <laughs> that could be Ethan Finley. But I think it's relevant that the guy who played the best is the guy who's bought in. And one of the smartest athletes is bought in. Yeah. Like, we, we can all look at this and go, well, you guys should know better than this. But you know what? Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. Maybe it doesn't matter. But it'll be really interesting to see how he spins the nobody believes in this narrative when they're playing San Jose, whose ass they kick routinely, and who everyone is picking Minnesota United to beat. It's That's really every, tough. Every side I've seen has, has Minnesota as the, as the favorite in this match. So we, Except- we will see. Except Vegas, but I don't know how much he believes in betting odds. We're about to find out, I think. Well, Vegas doesn't believe in us. The one, the yeah, the through line there though is that Vegas has no idea how to fucking bet MLS soccer. So if you want to make some money, um, I mean, don't bet on soccer. But like, if you're gonna bet on soccer, MLS is the way to go in Vegas. So all right, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back. We will we'll talk. We'll do some predictions for the uh, the quarterfinal matches, um, and then uh, talk about San Jose coming up. So. Uh, yeah, we'll be back after the after break. You want me to be that type of dude, and I want to be who you like me to, but we both know I can't do nothing at all. Right, and we're back. Quick little uh, hydration break. Um, it's always funny. My wife, uh, like the first part of the podcast, she's downstairs reading uh, while we record this like, in, our, in our office. And then uh, she leaves and, and goes, takes a shower and goes upstairs. But she turns off all the lights out, like outside of the office. <laughs> so when I, when I like, leave the office after recording the first half of the podcast, uh, I like it's completely dark and it just, I, I can't understand why she keeps doing that. But anyways, um, I love my wife, my beautiful, amazing, gorgeous wife. So it's going to be really funny when she starts putting like small objects right outside the office door. So you trip on them. That's really where this is headed. She listens to the podcast and and she does have notes occasionally. So she probably will after, after this. Uh, All right. Let's talk about the rest of uh, the MLS is back tournament. Uh, We have quarterfinals. Um, So we'll, we're going to give you our predictions for the, the three other games, not, not including Minnesota San Jose. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, Philadelphia versus Sporting Kansas City. They play tomorrow or today, if you're listening to this, probably uh, at uh, seven o'clock. Um, Philly Sporting Kansas City. Dan, who you got in this match? Um, I've got Sporting uh, in a very, very tight match, which puts me at odds with Vegas. Uh, to your point from the previous segment, the odds for the the quarterfinals are just wild. They are all over the board. It makes no sense. So Philly's played really well in this tournament and. And Sporting has not played nearly as consistently well, but Sporting is almost a four to one favorite. They got Philadelphia at plus two eighty, and Sporting Kansas City at a minus one hundred six, which is just I don't I don't understand how you look okay. at those two teams and you see that kind of gulf between them. If I'm betting this game, I'm going to bet Philly outright because they can absolutely win the game. Andre Blake has been hotter than that two dollar pistol and goal, and that alone can win you the game. But also their offense is is sufficiently good, yeah. so. I don't know what Vegas is on with this, but uh, 
I'll, I'll take sporting to win, but I'm not going to be surprised if it goes the other way. Yeah. MJ. I'm picking Philadelphia Union. Yeah, me too. I think Jim Kern's, you know, a really good coach. And, uh, and yeah, I, just, I, don't, I don't believe in sporting Kansas City. They, they've, they've been so sporadic and all over the place. And, yeah, especially – yeah, I don't know. I don't believe in sporting Kansas I City. Think, I think Curtin's tactics match up well versus Vermees' tactics. And I give the edge to Curtin. Yeah. Uh, all right. So on uh, Friday, Orlando plays LAFC. I think this game is kicking off at 6.30 Central Time, if I'm not mistaken. Um, we all have LAFC in this game, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Let's not talk about this game then. Uh, LAFC, which will, will, will play the winner of the Minnesota United versus San Jose game uh, in the semifinals. Uh, I really want the home team to win, though. It'd be really <laughs> nice to see. It'd be, it would be great if Orlando beat LAFC, yes. As, as, as Mickey Mouse as it would be. Yeah. Uh, so Saturday, the late game. So Minnesota and San Jose is the early game uh, on Saturday. On The late game on Saturday is NYCFC versus Portland. NYCFC, uh, uh, surprising, uh, kind of surprising winners against Toronto. Uh, they beat Toronto 3-1 to one, uh, earlier this week. They play Portland. Uh, Dan, who you got in this game? I've got Portland, who I've been picking to, to go far in this tournament from the very beginning. But apparently there is something missing with this team because they, not to get into the no one believes in us, but they seem to be consistently underrated. Uh, they're the they're the dog in this game. They're, uh, Vegas has them out at a plus 195 and NYCFC at a plus 125. Um, yeah, they didn't look overwhelmingly good against FC Cincinnati last night, but they were clearly the better team of the two. And I don't know. I buy Savarisi as a coach far more than I buy uh, Ryan Daly at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I generally buy yeah, I buy Savarisi better as a coach than Ronnie Daly. Um, for some reason, he has this NYCFC team. I mean, they snuck into the um, to the uh, the knockout round uh, courtesy of a, a really horrible, horrible PK call uh, in that Houston Dynamo LA Galaxy game. However, they looked really good against Toronto FC. They looked very prepared. Um, and Portland should have just rolled FC Cincinnati last night. And, it, you know, going to penalties is, is not a, not a great look. Um, Stom effect, guys. Yeah. I buy it. I like, I, mean, I like NYCFC in this game. Um, I think, I think it's maybe it's, it's kind of similar to the FC Cincinnati game uh, that Portland played last night. Uh, it's, it's, you know, one, one or two, two draw and, and NYCFC and Portland go to penalties and, I don't know. I have a feeling NYCFC wins this game. MJ, what do you got? I have NYC, uh, NYCFC as well. Okay. I, I thought that Portland looked very weak against FC Cincinnati. Uh, FC Cincinnati had chances to break and play out of the back. They had periods of threatening possession. And although, you know, defense against, you know, possessing teams isn't, Portland's strong suit. I thought, given the attacking pieces they had, they should have rolled over Cincinnati. Yeah. All right. So that brings us to uh, the last game, which is Minnesota United versus San Jose. We're going to tell you who we expect to win at the end of this uh, preview, the tactical schmactical. Uh, 7 p.m. Saturday. I think this, again, this is on ESPN2. Um, as of today, Bavada has uh, – San Jose as the favorites, uh, plus 115. 
Uh, Minnesota's at plus 210, a draw is plus 260. Uh, spread, obviously, San Jose minus 0.5, uh, minus 105, uh, minus 115 for Minnesota uh, with half a goal. Uh, over under is two and a half goals, uh, minus 110 for the over. Uh, under is also minus 110. So it seems like a, they're predicting a pretty, pretty even game. Um, Dan, did you figure out what the, uh, the total goals in this game, the spread for that is? Because I think that would be interesting. Uh, MJ pulled. Oh, okay. All right. I pulled all the, the betting stats this week. Oh, son of a bitch. All right. Well, let's talk about the game uh, specifically. Before we do that, what's uh, – MJ, did you put in these DraftKings odds yeah. outright? Um, all right. I thought they were entertaining. Yeah. So let's do that quickly before we do uh, jump into San Jose. So LAFC is the favorite. Um, NYCFC is right behind them for some reason. San Jose, Sporting Kansas City are tied. Philadelphia, Minnesota, Portland, Orlando, uh, in that order. So one, three. Nobody respects us, David. Nobody respects we, we, We're undefeated, and we are listed sixth out of eight teams by DraftKings to win this thing. Okay. Do you have anything specific to say about that other than that? Or is that your – No, no. I just wanted to rub that into to your forehead. It's shocking to me that Portland, who has looked pretty good in this tournament, is a plus 900. That, to me, is the smartest money on yeah. this board. On the, on the other side of the bracket, especially. Yeah, 100%. Um, NYCFC at a plus 450, that looks like dead money to me. They, they looked way better against Toronto, but they still had three pretty mediocre games and backed in. Um, I, like yeah. Philly, I like Philly at 650. Philly at 650 is really solid. That Actually, that three-team run, Philly at 650, Minnesota at 750, Portland at 900. You could really easily talk me into any of those. Yeah. Yep. All right. So this, this is a question that uh, Dan proposed to us. Um, are San Jose the most fun team in the league? I mean, the answer is yes. <laughs> I think I, I got to agree. I mean uh, – when we last recorded a podcast, so Monday, Zeller and I were both watching the uh, San Jose RSL game and just just jaws agape. Like, because every moment there was something happening. They were turning the ball over in a bad place. They were getting scored on 10 seconds off a restart. They were scoring a pinball goal. RSL completely melted down. Honestly, if you missed that game, go back and watch the second half replay. It is 100% worth your 45 minutes. Um, but, like, I, I'm not convinced that they're a good team, but I am 100% convinced that they're a fun team. Yeah. I am going to play semantics here and say fun is in the eye of the beholder because that is not the type of soccer I like to watch. I like to watch what other people call boring soccer where things are controlled and things are a little bit more predictable, except when players get creative and start breaking down defenses and things get unpredictable. But yeah, I'm not a root for chaos type of in-game soccer. However, if you were to change the word fun to entertaining, I might be a little bit more likely to go along with your argument. I, I, 
I'm just gonna say, MJ, you have a really shitty version uh, or definition of fun because San Jose is fucking fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, shitty version of fun, buddy. If, if I'm you... gonna have fun watching the loons kick their ass. That's fair. I mean, the um, last time the loons kicked their ass, they kicked it. What was it? Seven two or five two? Five two. No, it's it's still a seven goal a game. Like that's pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, again, I like watching. 2-1, one, one nil soccer, but I'm in the minority. Well, you know. You are welcome you're, to that uh, opinion, but... Uh, you're a guy pouring the coffee, and he only fills it halfway, and before I even argue, he's looking out the window at somebody coming in. do 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 You owe me a beer, Dan. Oh. Got it. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, that was supposed to be a Daniel <laughs> Vega reference, not a Suzanne Vega reference. Yeah, no, no, no. You said Vega. You said Tom. <laughs> I got it in. Um, all right. Let's talk about the, the, the actual players on the San Jose team that is uh, immensely fun, according to me and Dan, and uh, a drab soccer team, according to MJ, for some reason. I have no idea. No, why. I'd say chaotic. Chaotic. They well, are that. They that, are sounds, that. that sounds fucking fun to me, man. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, chaotic sounds fun. Uh, all right. Um, who wants to start? Let's let's start with uh, let's start with the the leader in goals scored in the history of MLS, uh, a man who will probably only see the pitch for about fifteen minutes um, <laughs> Saturday night. Chris Wondolowski. Dan, what's give He's us earned that rest report? He he has one hundred percent earned that rest. Uh, honestly, I think the most notable thing about Chris Wondolowski at this point is that he wears a jersey so large it looks like a nineteen ninety three starter windbreaker like that dude looks straight out of a bill and ted extra it is it is unbelievable and i i cannot credit him enough for bringing that fashion statement back because as a chunky dude the baggier clothing gets the better i look so i'm very happy about this the other remarkable thing about chris wondolowski is at this point in his career he's not the most mobile dude in the world no shame in that he was never that was never a huge part of his game He's a, he's a get into good position and head the ball striker. He's solid with his feet, whatever. He has two goals in this tournament coming off the bench exclusively. And I don't understand this because if Chris Wondolowski comes on the field, you know exactly what San Jose is going to try to do. They're trying to put the ball into his head. And that's fine. It works sometimes, but everybody knows exactly what's going to happen. And yet twice... Uh, against, uh, let's see, it would have been Chicago and uh, Vancouver. Markers just decided that the, the old man was not worth covering. And they let him get a free run of the box. And even at his advanced age, I think he's like 35, which puts him barely older than me. To be fair, uh, it was Francisco Calvo and then the Vancouver defense. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. So maybe those goals should each count for a half, and he actually has one. But point being, Wando is still dangerous, and if, uh, if he comes onto the field, I would hope United has the positional discipline to not let him get a free header, but if they do, he's probably going to put it in. Right on. Um, MJ, you want to talk about some Georgian soccer players? Yeah, and I'm not talking about Atlanta United here. I'm talking about Central European from the Caucasus region, Georgians. First, the good Georgian, uh, Valeri Kazashvili, otherwise known as Vako. And Vako is just an incredible attacking player, great vision, good distribution to his teammates, and has a great shot. So, like, watch out for Vako. 
And then on the other end of the pitch, you have uh, Garam Kashia, who will be most famous to Minnesota United fans as the guy who did a scissor leg takedown on Ike Parra in the box and got us a penalty kick the last time we played San Jose in San Jose. And he's not that good. Hmm. So we know who to attack. Yes, we do. And he starts. He starts for them. Yeah, they're. Uh, yeah, he's a. He's a. He's not a good defender, and his uh, um, other central defender is also not good. Um, yeah, but good opportunity there. Uh, I'm gonna briefly talk about Magnus Eriksson. I mean, not much to be said about uh, their one of their DPS. Um, scored two goals uh, from the penalty spot uh, against San, against RSL in their knockout round. Um, dudes scores goals against Minnesota like it's going out of style. Um, he's a he's a really great really great player and uh yeah we definitely need to make sure that we do not give him an opportunity to uh convert from the penalty spot which you know easier said than done according with especially with uh if we have aha playing again in the uh in the defense so um dan shay salinas so shay salinas uh is a highly technical player who kind of hasn't lived up to his full potential at mls and i think that's largely because Prior to this year, he'd been used predominantly as a starter. Uh, and I know I went off on Robin Fraser last week for not starting Jonathan Lewis, who is taking the role as a super sub. Uh, but Shea Salinas looks like the type of player who really is thriving in, the, in that role. He's been really, really good in this tournament, attacking defenses. He's an incredibly direct player. Um, but he's coming on as a sub, running at tired leg defenders. And that really seems to be where he's thriving so I don't expect him to start uh, but he is the type of player where once he's subbed in in, in probably the late 60 early 70s minutes um, United needs to be really careful with him and he is he is exactly the player because he person attacked on the right that makes me extremely hopeful that Roman Metinero will be back because as much as I love Hassani Dotson and I think I've proven over the course of this podcast that I do his inexperience could be very costly against a player like Chase Salinas, who's a little bit uh, savvier. Yeah. Um, another great player for San Jose and a player that Minnesota, Minnesota actually should have had uh, Jackson Ewell. Uh, he is uh, so Minnesota in this sort of getting into the house should Minnesota United play uh, San Jose earthquakes. Uh, you know, there's a, I think there's probably going to be a tendency to want to play Dotson in the kind of the exact same role of shutting down Jackson Ewell, who plays sort of in that Darlington Nagby role. Um, however, uh, Nagby can't pass the way that Jackson Ewell can pass. And so Jackson Ewell could have been a Minnesota United player, uh, probably could have been a homegrown player if, if Minnesota United had done the things correctly in terms of their uh, academy stuff when they came into the league. Instead, he went to San Jose, and he has turned into a star. Um, and, you know, every other player that was drafted after Abu Danladi has been an amazing player that, that would that turn out to be one of the most amazing uh, MLS uh, entry drafts of all time, um, but for Abu Danladi. So, yeah, Jackson Ewell has been, you know, has been a, a stalwart for San Jose. And, and he's a guy who he's a very Darlington Nagby-esque but actually can, can pass and can, and can pass out wide, um, which is what is, they're going to need to do to break down, you know, assuming Minnesota sits in sort of the same sort of 4-3-3 uh, 
or uh, yeah, four through three block that they played the last couple games. Which I can't imagine why they won't do that again. Uh, Nick Lima, MJ. Nick Lima, twenty-five year old left back. Really has has come into his own the last couple of years. Really looking good this tournament. He likes to to shoot from distance, and he's pretty good at it. In fact, a lot of I'll get to this later, but a lot of San Jose guys like to shoot from distance. So we just have to be aware of that in a ways that the Columbus crew didn't don't like shooting from those distances. And uh, yeah, he can be a difference maker on, on that left side for them. All right. And then finally, um, I'm just going to throw out there, Daniel Vega, uh, their goalkeeper. Um, so part of the, the beauty of San Jose and the chaos of San Jose is, is that they have a goalkeeper who is contributes to that chaos uh, actively, um, whether it is, it is rolling balls into defenders, um, short passing defenders, uh, just not being in great positions. The guy is, you know, he's very, he's, you know, uh, very acrobatic. He can make amazing saves. And then sometimes he's just like, just completely out of position. Um, again, if you are a, a person who roots for chaos, San Jose is a really great team to root for because it's fucking chaos. So uh, anything else you guys want to add on any of the players we talked about or did I, do we miss anybody? You know, I think it's worth talking about Matias Almeida really quickly uh, because <laughs> yeah, the manager, the manager, um, I'll, and I won't get into formation because we're going to do that here in a second. But I think one of the things that we speculated on coming into the tournament was, hey, how much did it matter? Um, coaching continuity and, you know, coaches with tournament experience. But T.S. Almeida uh, is consistent year to year. So all of these players knew him. They did not bring in very many players, if any, in the starting lineup last from last year. Oh. Um, and Almeida is a pretty seasoned tournament coach. And uh, look, we, the nature of, of when United has played them means that we have focused on San Jose quite a bit beginning of last season, beginning of this season, during the big winning streak last year, they are a team that we care about a lot and they've never looked this good, not even close. And for some reason, and I think Almeida is that reason they look really good in tournament soccer in a way that they really haven't in league. So um, it's a it's a tip of the hat to him and his glorious, unspeakably delightful mullet. Which he doesn't have anymore. Oh no! Did you not He's, see my tweet? I no. didn't. I didn't. He Samsoned it. He Samsoned yeah. it. He cut, he cut his hair. He yeah. He's not the uh, he's not the thirst trap he used to be with that glor- glorious glorious mullet. So. Um. <laughs> All right, so so Minnesota, by, Minnesota by a billion is what I'm hearing. Between yeah. the pizza squirrel and Almeida not having a mullet anymore. Yeah. Like, this is this is over before it starts. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, if the power is in the hair. Well, clearly, not. clearly not, because they're they're doing really well during this tournament. So, um, we, uh, before we jump into how we should play them, I have, we have a question from our friend Tim, who is a uh, big San Jose Earthquakes fan, lives in Minnesota, um, takes pictures of the loons. He, his question is, why does the Lord hate me? Uh, MJ, why does the Lord hate uh, our friend Tim? Well, Tim, Mr. San Jose Earthquakes fan, uh, my first question is, you know, how are you doing with the Lord? Like, have you been sinning recently? And by sinning, I mean doing things like 
maybe showing up to uh, LAFC barbecue or, you know, possibly cheering for the LA Galaxy to upset some team in this tournament? Have you been, you know, secretly cheering for California rivals in a way that is just pure soccer sin? He's not on the podcast, so you can't actually ask him that question because he cannot answer that question. Well, you can do that on Twitter if you want. We can try him in absentia if we want. If we want to just accuse him and, and convict him of these if things. There's a, there's a great tradition for that. So, um, Tim, you're guilty and you're going to hell. If he's asking a question on his podcast, I assume he's listening to the podcast. Well, he, but he's not, he's not in the – he can't actually act, actually answer right now. I, I invited I, – to be – and – uh, I invited him on to talk about San Jose uh, as he is a, you know, he's from San Francisco Bay area. He's a San, San Jose fan. Um, and hopefully he will, hopefully me and him will be able to like have a conversation about San Jose uh, and then I'll be able to reset as like a special podcast. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, Tim, the Lord, it just, you know, he just hates you. Maybe you've taken his name in vain, like, you know, like a fucking asshole um, or a goddamn Jesus Christ, Judas, or something. I don't know. Maybe you've done that. Uh, all right. Let's move into it. So that's, uh, sorry, that's my, uh, yeah, taking those name advantage. We'll spend forever in Gehenna. Yeah. All right. So how should United play uh, San Jose Earthquakes on Saturday? Uh, Dan, you want to you wanna start? Yeah, sure. So, you know, one thing that United has done really effectively, uh, and it is probably the most effective thing that you can do against the man marking that San Jose is known for, that Almeida, Matisse Almeida is known for, is press up against it. Uh, and United has done that incredibly effectively to the tune of three goals in their past two games scored by center backs. Um, so one of the interesting things is that uh, San Jose doesn't play a full man mark. They play a little bit of zone at the back. So essentially what you have to do is overload where they want to play the man and throw an extra man against the zone. And that's what United's been more than willing to do. But that's something that you can really do effectively when you have an Igopara, maybe less effectively with an Jose. Aha. So I, I don't think we'll see Brent Coleman in this game, but he is, the, of the three center backs, he is the most mobile of the three. And he and Boxy are the two of the three that are the most mobile, uh, as evidenced by Boxy's. What was that, like a 55-yard run that he scored on? Yeah, last year, yeah. And Allianz. So, um, you know, after the RSL game, I said that RSL had given teams the book on how to beat Minnesota United, which is give them the ball. Let them figure out if they can break down a press and get into some interesting places. If Roman Metinair is out, if Kevin Molino isn't fully healthy – I think that's what San Jose has to do. I think they have to give up possession. Now, Crazy Legs McGee, which is what I'm apparently referring to all of San Jose as, is, <laughs> is very loath to do that. They want the ball. They want to institute – they want to push chaos on you. And, and Minnesota, I mean, <laughs> there's a great personality test. I think it was The Onion that did it. And it was a, are you a chaos Muppet or are you an order Muppet? And, and San Jose are chaos Muppets. They are Gonzo. They are Piggy. They are uh, Rizzo. Beaker and Honeydew. Minnesota United is Sam Eagle and Kermit the Frog. And that means this game is going to be great, but it really is a question of who can impose the style. Because if Minnesota can blunt San Jose's attack and, and force them to pass back and forth, mostly horizontally, not a lot going on vertically, they will win this game. But if San Jose breaks Minnesota's shape, consistently makes them try to run half counters, 
and then get out of position, they can probably score the three or four goals it takes unless Tyler Miller completely stands on his head. Yeah, MJ? So on that idea of pressing forward with your backs, because they don't – they leave one center back open. And so if you can get the ball to that center back, have that person take the ball up as far up the pitch as they can and create a two-on-one somewhere, that is the way to do it. But also what I think we've seen from Minnesota in the past is they're so used to having their man-marking system get turnovers in the midfield or in their opponent's uh, defensive areas. They're used to getting turnovers further up the pitch. They don't play out of the back very well. And we already talked about their center backs being weak. So we have pressed them fairly successfully and caused turnovers in our attacking area well in the past. And I think we, we, we should do that again. We should press. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't disagree with pretty much any of that. Uh, I will say um, restarts might be a big thing for Minnesota United. Uh, both of RSL's goals in their last game against San Jose came like literally minutes after restarts where, you know, maybe San Jose loses focus. So, you know, San Jose has a very specific system that they play. And if you sort of just lose focus for a little bit, it can break down really quickly and really easily. Um, so, you know, that might be a, an interesting uh, opportunity for Minnesota to take advantage of, um, like really focus on the uh, the research, the, you know, other big things that I noticed too, is that, and just going back to last year when, you know, San Jose was the talk of the town, they were the best team going. Uh, and then all of a sudden they just like stopped playing soccer well and you know got what like seven out of the final like 30 some points and went from being in the playoffs to not even making the playoffs last year was that they shut down like teams shut down their wingers and their wingers didn't score like magnus magnus erickson is a is a you know a good player um he's not a goal scorer generally uh they need in in christian espinoza um Baco, their, their wingers, when their wingers are scoring goals, that is when San Jose is playing really well. And I guess the other question too I have is, is you know, we've had, and Adrian Heath has had Almeida's number um, since, he, since he took over in, in uh, 2019. Um, 18 months of beating the shit out of San Jose. Is he going to shake things up? Or would he be willing to shake things up and play a slightly different system knowing that Minnesota plays really well against uh, what San Jose system is. I don't know. I, I, I don't think so. I think he, you know, he's, most coaches are pretty stubborn. They're going to play the way they want to play and, you know, fuck it, whatever. <laughs> so, I mean, I know that's kind of what Adrian Heath is, you know, he, he's not very adaptable um, when it comes to, um, and, you know, Almeida has never, has not seen, it's not portrayed himself as an, an adaptable coach. Like he's going to, switch things up and let Minnesota control possession. I think, you know, he's going to do definitely what Dan exactly said. So um, I guess the other big question out too is will Dawson be deployed in the same way um, that he was in this match in, in the previous match to shut down Yule. But again, Yule can hit those longer passes. Darwin Nagby does not have that in his repertoire. And, you know, 
So I don't know. It's a, it'll be interesting game of cat and mouse. A- it'll be interesting, interesting too, to see what Inji does if he doesn't have his preferred formation. If Metonair's out and Dotson moves to the right back position, then that's an enforced formation change. So what else do you change? Because you can't just sort of slide pieces around and say, oh, yeah, this is totally going to work. Um, so, if Metner's back, it'll be moot. But yeah, I, I don't think that will be the case. If Dotson slots in at right back, would there be a chance that Raheem Edwards finally gets to start at left wing? Because Lewd is next on the depth chart at, at, at center attacking midfield. Well, you could sell me on that. I mean, there's Molino too. Like, right? If he's healthy. Do we? Be yes. So, um, assuming Molino's healthy, Molino starts, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, you can't bunker against this team. They're not a. They're not a focused attack where you know what angles you absolutely have to cut off. They're. They're ping the ball around and hope it ends up at somebody interesting's feet between six and 18 yards outside of goal. Yeah. And, and uh, so, and the other question I have, so Coleman's back with the team. Um, obviously he uh, did not, st- did not start and did not play in the last game. Aha uh-huh, did not have the greatest of games last time. And knowing exactly what you're playing against with San Jose, where you need your center backs to be able to like make a run. It would not surprise me at all. If Coleman starts with Boxall in this game. I think it's 100% justifiable, but man, talk about throwing Brett Coleman really right into the wolves. I mean, he's going to be under assault all game. I think, it, I, and, and this is something that none of us are going to have an answer to. I think it depends entirely on how good he's been in training. Um, if Inchi's happy with how he's been training and feels like he's basically at game speed, yeah, I could definitely see him in there. If he's really rusty and just getting back up to, you know, feeling like he's at game speed, I, I don't know that you can say Aha played poorly enough in the last game just by benching him. Good. Got an assist. I mean, like one of you said on our last podcast this week, it's more likely that Brent Coleman comes in as a second-half sub, especially if we're up, or maybe even if we're down. Yeah, bad. I could see him coming in if we're down. If we're pressing for a goal, I think that's definitely a sub you make because Coleman is just so much more mobile than AHA is. Uh, another interesting thing from a tackle standpoint is a a four three three bunker, like Dan said, is not going to work against this team. We were able to keep basically their two Columbus's two Nagby and I forget who else that that their attackers that tend to sit deep at bay and we were able to like they weren't able to dribble in they weren't able to get shots off from distance but they're not a shots from distance team whereas Dan said San Jose likes to pinball the ball like they're Tommy Thompson Nick Lima um Jackson Ewell uh Vaco, if he cycles off from the wing and cycles back up to the top of the, the 18 box, they will take shots from from distance, hoping that it clips one of their legs or one of our legs and goes in the net. And so I think we need to be a little tighter on defense in areas that we weren't in the Columbus game. All right. Who wins? MJ. Minnesota United. 
Damn. Minnesota United. All right. Uh, David. Yeah, fucking A, man. Minnesota United. Why the fuck not? Let's do it. Let's go to the fucking let's go to the fucking semifinals. Why the hell not? Uh, all right, we have a couple couple quick questions. Uh, so Sheldon asks, how many total games are you expecting? Are you each expecting for the season? I think that is uh, in reference to the return to play. The plan is eighteen more games after the tournament is over. How many do we each expect there to happen? Um, I'll, I'll start. I I don't think there'll be any more games after the tournament. I think tournament's going to be it, and that is going to be the end of things because just watching what's happening with the Marlins right now, and and you know, obviously it's been great. Phillies haven't had any positive tests yet for players, but it's again, it's only been a couple days. I'm very much worried about. Uh, all that spread and I don't necessarily think we're going to see many more games. Um, so. Yeah. I think the Marlin situation is probably the most illustrative. And as I mentioned on Monday, there's millions of dollars worth of eyes watching that situation. Um, so I think the answer really comes down to, it just depends how willing, how, how willing MLS is to throw a team completely under the bus and say, you guys screwed up real bad and this season is over for you. You know, if they're willing to say, let's say this isn't the Marlins, let's say it's a Miami FC uh, or Inter-Miami, my bad. Um, and Don Garber just says, you know what? Y'all really shouldn't have gone out. This is really stupid. You're done. Maybe the rest of the league can continue. Um, MLS is certainly pushing forward. Um, I, I think they're going to try to do a full season. I really think they're going to do everything in their power to get 18 games in. Um, but that only happens if they're basic. There's going to be at least one team that screws up real bad. And if they say, you're just done, screw you guys, you don't get the money, that's not our, our problem, then I think they can actually do it. I think if they're determined 18 games for every team, that's where I think they won't get it done. Yeah. There's, there's already been USL games. Many, there's been like four or five USL games that have been canceled because of COVID-19 positive tests, including a game tonight between LA Galaxy 2 and the, the San Diego Loyal in the USL Championship. So, And there was another game canceled while we were at break. Oh, really? Okay, good. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So, yeah, Sacra- Sacramento's game. Uh, I'm with David that I don't think any more games will be played after MLS is back. Tournament is done. But if they're trying to put 18 games out there and I were a odds maker, I'd say the over-under is five games. All right. Beyond MLS is back. Um, all right. And then, uh, so our friend Eric also asked us, in, in addition to that Heath question, um, he says, I think Ozzy Alonso should have a nickname. I see Seattle people used to call him Honey Badger, but already someone famous has that nickname. He likes the Bulldog. Eric likes the Bulldog because he's so damn strong and aggressive. He weighs about the same as me, and I want no part of that. Your thoughts. So what are your thoughts on Ozzy's nickname, and, and should it be the Bulldog? I feel like the Bulldog should be reserved for English players um, just because, like, that's, like, their, their you know, cultural icon, um, which tells you a lot about England, really. Uh, you know, Ozzy's technical position is defensive midfielder, um, 
a.k.a. the Six, a.k.a. the Destroyer Six. And I think Ozzy just being called the Destroyer because he so typifies that position, it'll be, it's like retiring his jersey. Now, when you talk about the Destroyer, you're actually talking about Ozzy, but then maybe also another player who simulates Ozzy for yeah. your team. There's a, a really great band called Destroyer that, I, you know, would be great too. So Yeah, that's Dan Behar's band, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, MJ, do you have any thoughts on, on Ozzy's nickname? The, the only thing that, that really crossed my brain was Cobra Kai. Strike Sweep hard. the leg. Strike hard, strike first, show no mercy, sensei. Um, <laughs> I like it. All right. All right. Final question. Uh, Rob, our friend Rob asked, uh, Amaria is just still getting over the abductor, abductor strain, yeah? He's still good, right? Yes, Rob. I think I, I think Amari is is getting over the abductor strain, so I don't think he's quite recovered. I think he's still good. MJ. One of these things that I'm looking forward to in this game against San Jose is, as I believe Dan said earlier, this man marking system requires every eleven of your of your players, including Daniel Vega, to be marking someone or some area in a very key spot and it can break down if one or two don't and Amaria is a very good person who moves uh without the ball and kind of outside of his central attacking zone into other zones and if we can get the ball into that box area look for look for Amaria because he's going to be doing something to confuse defenders, and he's very good at that. So, Dan, does your cat's asshole have something to say about this? Uh, this is going to be really confusing, considering this is not a video podcast. Uh, yeah, I, I think MJ's right. I think he Amaria is going to be really, really critical in this game. If he's as bad uh, against San Jose as he was against uh, Columbus, good heavens, sorry. Uh, I think United's going to have a really, really hard time winning. Um, honestly, uh, he may still be hurt from the adductor. That's a, that can be an injury that lingers. Um, honestly, more than anything, I think it's rust. I mean, you're talking about a guy who didn't play in the first game. Uh, that game against RSL was an absolute slog. Um, the game against Colorado, he wasn't good, but that was kind of the first game – where United had anything resembling an attack. And then he was on an island against Columbus. And you can say he should have done more to not be on that island, but he wasn't getting good service. He wasn't a consistent part of the attack. Or rather, he wasn't a consistent part of the game plan. So I think this is a guy who is very much still shaking off the rust. And, and one thing I wanted to point out earlier and forgot to was on Monday we talked about Tyler Miller who had been parrying balls, maybe he should have caught, he was spilling balls, and he did none of that against Columbus. So I think there really is a rust factor for some of these guys. And I'm hopeful that uh, Amaria, when he's getting consistent balls in from Finley, uh, when he's getting things in from Gasper, when Lude's looking for him to get a ball into his feet, I think we may see some bad takes in the first couple minutes of the game. But if he starts to warm up and can really start stinging Daniel Vegas' palms, that's where I think we may start seeing him be really good again. So injury, yeah, maybe, maybe not. I think the rust is the bigger thing with him. Um, whether he's still good or not, it would 
we were basing the fact that he was good at all after, off of two games. So he has been bad now for longer than he was good for us. So who knows how, good, how, how talented he really is. I think he's solid, but there's really nothing to say that that wasn't two amazing games and the, the two best games we'll see of him in United Colors. All right. Well, that's it, guys. Uh, thank you for, for hanging out with us. Uh, really appreciate you, MJ and Dan. Um, rate and review our podcast wherever you uh, get podcasts. DaveZeno.com for all your uh, um, soccer and or NASCAR content. Um, thanks to our friend Jesse for writing a NASCAR piece again. Patreon.com uh, backslash DaveZeno, uh, the Substack uh, at TDIKMN on Twitter. Bill's at Bill underscore McGuire. MJ's at MJ Matsui, Dan's at D Wade, I'm at Texas Zeller. We have been the day you know this is we have to try and work it out. Cause we both know we can't do nothing at all. Oh yeah. Oh, 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 uh, we, we do yeah. our thing, son. Through the act we attract two, hope to reach one. Uh, we, yeah. we, we do our thing. Do it. We, do it. We, we do our thing, son. Some will paint a piece, some will spray with a machine gun. It's mad work to be we, done. Uh, we, we do our thing, son. Y'all know we can't do nothing at all. Nah, yo, I can't do nothing at all.